All right, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And I'm going to read verses 4 through 11. Uh, this is, of course, a letter, an epistle, which means letter, written to the church at Philippi under inspiration of God through the pen of the Apostle Paul. In verse 4 he says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness, righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, yea, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but done, that I may win Christ. Be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. The title of the message this morning is Losing His Life to Save It. Losing His Life to Save It. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you thank you again for the opportunity and privilege we have to open your precious word. Thank you, Father, for the truths of thy word. Thank you for these examples of those that have gone before us that are written for our example for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world have come. It is for us that live in this day and time to learn and to grow from the examples that have been set before us, the counsel that we've been given through the word of God of the lives of others who have gone before. And I praise you, Father, that you would just challenge us today and open our hearts and minds to receive thy truth. We do pray if there be any in our midst this morning who are trusting in the flesh. They may, though they may be religious, may not be right with God, I pray that the Spirit of God will work in their hearts, bring conviction and repentance, and total reliance upon the Lord Jesus Christ, who alone can save from sin. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Recorded in three of the Gospels is this passage that we find in Mark chapter 8, and it's, it's you know, the, some of the wording is a little different in some of the other Gospels, but it's pretty much the same in all three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And verses 34 through 38, which says, And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the Gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with his holy angels." And here in Philippians chapter 3, Paul records for us what that means in real life. The cost of following Christ and the comparison of the temporal versus the eternal. 
is a challenge to us when we consider what Paul gave up, what he suffered for Christ. And to read the use of the words that he describes, uses to describe the worthiness of a relationship and fellowship with God compared to the things of the flesh is astounding. So I want to notice, first of all, I want to notice three things here this morning, if I have time. Uh, The works of the flesh in verses 5 and 6, I mentioned some of this uh, uh, last Sunday. There are seven things he mentioned here that he would pride him in. You know, he says in verse 4, if any man thinketh that he have whereof he might trust in the flesh. Whenever he has something to brag about, about, uh, you know, his flesh and the works of the flesh and, and his lifestyle, I more. I can brag more. I got more to brag about than any of the rest of you, is what he's saying. He said, I could brag about, I could pride myself in, in tradition. We see here the pride of tradition in, in verse 5. He says, I'm circumcised the eighth day. I mean, that was the day set aside that they were to be circumcised, the Jewish boys. In other words, he was a, Paul was a blood-born Jew. He was the original aristocracy of the Jewish people. You know, many p- p- trust in their personal heritage. Your know, ancestors can leave us many things, property, money, memories, wisdom for life, but they cannot give you the righteousness of God. Cannot. They can't grant to you eternal life. The Bible says in John 1.12, But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name, which were born, not of blood, it's not of inheritance, nor the will of the flesh, nothing they can do to give it to you, nor the will of man, you can't earn it, but of God. But Paul said, I got the, I got the pride of tradition. I'm a true, blue, blood-born Jew, circumcised the eighth day. I got the pride of birth, Verse 5, of the stock of Israel. Of the stock of Israel. Again, he could brag about all the things that he had as a true Jew. Uh, He could boast that he was not a proselyte, a convert to Judaism. He was traditional. We see here also the pride of position, verse 5, of the tribe of Benjamin. Among the tribes of Israel, Benjamin was somewhat distinguished. They had left-handed men who could sling stones at a hair's breadth and not miss. The Bible says, in the days of the judges, they were left-handed, um, and they were so they were known to be ferocious in battle. And and when Judah described, they're not Judah. When when Jacob or Israel gave the blessing to the to the to the twelve tribes, he he said that. Benjamin was a ravening wolf. And they were known to be ferocious in battle. There were some men of distinction among them. There was Ehud, the left-handed judge, who took a present to the king of Moab. A dagger that he had attached to his thigh. They had also the first king of Israel, to their credit, King Saul. And probably one of the most honorable men in Israel's history, King Saul's son, Jonathan. Best friend David ever had. A very honorable man. 
and a, and a great warrior as well. They had also Mordecai, who at great risk to his own life, saved his own people from destruction, uh, destruction of Haman. And then, of course, Paul, the apostle. You see, Paul could say, hey, I'm from Benjamin. I'm from Benjamin. Pride of position. Many are prideful of their position in life. But not many wise men after the flesh, not mighty mighty are called. God has chosen the weak things of this world to confound the wise. He could, he could boast of pride of caste. The Bible says here in verse 5 again, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. This referred to his social position, which he was born into and maintained and advanced in his prior life before his conversion. And so he was, you know, he, he was a, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Uh, he, he maintained that position, that, that birth status he had. And, and, you know, at Philippi, there would have been, like there was in other parts of the world, places of the world at that time, there were these Hellenistic Jews who had forsaken the language, they'd forsaken the manners, they'd forsaken the customs of Jewry, and they'd conformed to the Greek ideals and customs of the day. But not Paul. Not Saul of Tarsus. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He retained all that Jewish traditions and the, and the, the social status to which he was born into. Believing that it was superior to all other ways of life. You know, we would say today, he was Jewish. He, he was, he was, he believed in Jewish supremacy. Yeah, he did. He believed that Judaism and the Jewish way of the life, Hebrew way of life was supreme to all others. And he looked down to the Gentiles as dogs those same Gentiles that God made him an apostle to. He was pride of his caste, the class into which he was born. Some people are prideful of their position in, which, in the life in which they find themselves. He was also, he could pride himself in the, his religion. In verse 5 again, he says he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Now that's kind of an interesting statement. You know, he was not just, well, uh, yeah, well, I guess I'm a Pharisee. You know, like a lot of people today say, well, yeah, I, I guess, we, you know, I guess we're Baptists. Or, you know, yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm really Catholic. You know, I don't go, but, you know, I'm Catholic. That's the way a lot of people do. They have their, their churchianity, you know, that they go to. They're not really anything. No, 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 no. That wasn't Paul. He would have said, I am a Pharisee. I take this stuff seriously. I'm not just a Saturday, Sabbath day Pharisee. No. He was zealous in his religious pursuits. They governed his life. 
He was, his was not a religion of rationale as the Sadducees who, who, who rationalized everything, didn't believe in the resurrection. It, his wasn't a political manip, 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 manipulation as the Herodians who, who were only in it for political gain, like some are today. You know, they, they espouse a certain things for political gain. Or, or, or given over to fanaticism as the zealots were who were trying to overthrow the Roman government by murder and, and, and plunder and all those sorts of things, insurrection. But he steadfastly held the traditions of the fathers. In Galatians 1.14, he says this, And he profited in the Jewish religion above many mine equals in mine, ocean, mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. See, he, he steadfastly held those traditions. He observed their special days and all those things. He also had pride of represent, rep, uh, reputation. If you notice in verse 6, he says, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. See, he measured his religion by what he hated. You know, there's something wrong with your religion if you measure it by what you hate. After all, God is not a God of hate. You know, for a God of love, hatred is not evidence of salvation. Remember in John 13, verse 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved, as I have loved you that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. Now I'm not talking about this love where you allow sin, but I'm talking about a true, genuine love that does right by his fellow man. 1 John 4, 7 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and every one that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. You see, we should be, not be known by the things we hate, although there are things we ought to hate. But things we ought to hate, not people we ought to hate. You know, liberalism, the false gospel, I hate it. But my heart hurts for those who are deceived by it. It's damning souls. Socialism, communism, drunkenness, etc., etc. We can name a lot of things that we ought to hate. But we ought to be known by loving, by our love for people and desiring to see them delivered from the destruction of sin. You know, the psalmist said two times in Psalm 119, verse 104, Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I, I hate every false way. Again, verse 128, Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. But we are not to hate people. Paul hated the church. You know what church is? It's people. It's not a building. He didn't go around just burning church buildings down. In case you didn't know, they didn't have any buildings back then. 
church is people. And he who's zealous, so zealous concerning his religion, and this is how he's known, persecuting the church, taking vengeance on the church, which is people. So pride, pride, of rep- pride of reputation. And then the seventh thing we see is a pride of character. Verse 6, the end of the verse 6 says, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. You imagine being witness of Saul of Tarsus declaring himself to be an observer of the law of Moses and the external requirements, and the offerings and sacrifices carefully you know, sacrifices carefully kept. You know, again, you know, it wasn't less, well, you know, I observed the law. No. <laughs> I just want you all to know that I keep all the commands of Moses. I observe all the holy days. I, you know, you know I want you all to know I made a public profession. And I was baptized. And I have been a faithful attendance. And I give a tenth of all of my substantial income to my church. And I, and I, and I, and I. It's like, so what? You know, one can boast of one's faithful activities to the service of God and yet be empty and vain in heart and soul. You see, these were the gains of Saul, the, uh, the circumcised Israelite of Benjamin, of the tribe of King Saul, of the tribe that slang a stone and a hair's breadth and not miss, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees, wanted to hear to observe the law of Moses. You know, he was not like the Sadducees or the Herodians or the Zealots who were not observers of the law. And, you know, he was serious about his religion. This is who he was. So if you want to brag about who you are, he says, I'm more. I'm more. But notice verse 7. We see the comparison of the flesh with the spirit. Verse 7 and 8. What things were gained to me? In other words, all those things we just talked about. Those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. It says gain to me. Anything spiritual, religious in nature, Paul took a, he took a complete inventory of his life to see what was there, those are the things he has. And he's, he's making an accounting of it. He said, I... I I, I count it all. That's an, that's an accounting term. It's like a accountant working on his ledger. He would sit down and, 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 and draw up two columns, and one column would be the things that were valuable and desirable in a worldly sense, you know, these seven items, and the other column that would be the things that are value and eternal in a spiritual sense. And so he'd add up the figures. And when he did, what you see is the eternal and spiritual items are infinitely of more value than any things of the world. All the worldly attainments, and there were many, were not to be compared with what he he could gain by winning Christ. All his Jewish religious privileges were worth nothing in the light of Christ. 
you know, this also shows that Paul didn't do this in a just a careless manner. He had weighed the consequences. You know, I believe this, this would probably was going on in Paul's mind before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Listening to the testimonies. He, he, he had heard, of course, he heard the testimony of Stephen before the Sanhedrin. He heard, I'm sure he heard the testimonies of those, those believers that he persecuted and, and hauled off to prison. He would see their testimonies and listen to their testimonies. And he's starting to weigh all this in his mind. And seeing how these people die, suffer, and die. And he's taking a careful reckoning and counting the costs and drawing up conclusions just like an accountant would, adding up the figures. And this is what he said. Those I counted loss for Christ. It means damage. They're damaged when compared to price. You know, if you applied this to a trade, a voluntary loss of emergent casting, it'd be like casting your cargo. Everything that I had, it, it, like a shipmaster casting his cargo overboard. You know, sometimes when, when in that day, you know, when, when, a, when a shipmaster was, uh, was maybe pursuing another vessel, an enemy vessel. Sometimes what they do is throw everything they could overboard that wasn't of essential value so that they could speed speed up their advance to catch the enemy. And this is what Paul's referring to. I, I've cast everything overboard. Everything, everything that is not of value, that does not, does not fulfill or, or help me on my journey to win Christ, I'm throwing it overboard. It's loss. I'm willingly giving it up if it's no value or use to Him. See, his conclusion is there's no value in the things of the flesh. He tells us in verse 3 to have no confidence in the flesh. And so he said, I have suffered the loss of all things. You know, he had lost. You think of some of the things that Paul had lost if you read his life. He had lost financial stability. You know, one time he had doubtless lived a fluent life. You know, he had to. He could not have studied at the universities he did if he hadn't had some means of affluence. He studied under Gamaliel in Jerusalem. He ran in the Pharisaical and Sanhedrin circles. He could not have done that unless his family, he and his family were quite well-to-do. But now he's a poor man. Often depending upon tent-making to supply his own needs. Sometimes reduced to, you know, sometimes accepting gifts from friends for his provision. The Bible tells us in that different places, the book of Acts. He lost physical comfort. From the time of his conversion, he was cut off from his family. They are never mentioned again. He was condemned to a life of privation and suffering such as had fallen to the lot of few. Of course, you can read about that in Second Corinthians 11. 
shipwrecks, labors, prisons, stripes, rods, journeys, perils, weariness. Where was the comfort he once knew? Somebody says, do not the list make you a little ashamed that your Christian adherence causes you so little distress? Do you not think that a bit of persecution these days of ease would perhaps waken us up, tighten us up, smarten us up into something nearer to the vigor and manliness of the first believers? He had lost a great reputation. The scribes of the day would look upon his brilliant young man as one of the most promising of their coming leaders. He would be held in high esteem by all who recognized the values belonging to the upright Jewish faith. Now he is regarded and treated as the off-scouring of all things. But Paul said, I consider him lost for Christ. I'd throw them overboard. If I was on a ship, I'd throw them overboard. For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dumb. That word excellency means to, to have or to hold over one, to stand out, to rise above. It's over the top, to be above, to be superior in rank, to excel. It's better. It means to surpass. This is not just an academic knowing or knowledge of Christ. This is a personal, intimate knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wanted to know, he wanted to know Him as deeply as He possibly could. You know, just as he was zealous with his Jewish uh, uh, religion, he was zealous with his Christianity and with his relationship with God. He wanted the fullest possible relationship he could have. Paul was not content with just knowing about Christ, but knowing Him as deeply as humanly possible. You know, no, no religion desires the excellency of the knowledge of its founder. After all, if you study the founders of some of these religions, some of them actually don't want to be referred to by their founders. Say something to a Jehovah's Witness sometime about being a Russellite. They won't like that. Charles Taze Russell, known to be a crook, they tried to distance themselves from him. You start exposing the things about Muhammad. Who would want to follow such a guy? You know, people don't study Buddha, study Buddhism, They don't want to know about where Confucius is. See, this this study of Christ, or knowing Christ, is unique to Bible-believing Christianity. There is nothing like it in Roman Catholicism or liberal Protestantism. This knowledge signifies more than just general intelligence. Understanding deeper and more perfect and large knowledge of this religion, such as belongs to the more advanced 
And see, he wants to know the excellency. He said, I, I count all those things that lost for the excellency. I do count them, and he, he gives a stronger word here, dung. And it's the only time it's used in the New Testament. Dung. It means any refuge as the excrement of animals, offscourings, rubbish, things of worthless and detestable, that which is thrown to the dogs, frequently used in medical writings, which it has the idea of excrement. It is also referred to as food gone bad, scraps left over after meal and refuse. It's in the Greek, extra-biblical Greeks writings, it describes a half-eaten corpse and lumps of manure. So the word dung here would rightly fit a dead deer that's been out a week laying along a road, half eaten by buzzards. And Paul is saying, I count all those things that I, of the flesh, as dung, compared to the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Isn't it kind of sad that so often we put a lot of confidence in the things of the flesh? Paul could have put a lot of confidence in the things of his flesh. Somebody said, quote, it's not mere garbage or refuse. The word is much stronger, excrement. That is what this world is worth in the eyes of the Christian. That is, if he is in a right relationship with the Lord, a Christian who puts any value on anything the flesh, of the flesh or the world has to offer is backslidden. Unquote. So that's the Paul's comparison of the flesh and the Spirit. Then I want you to notice, thirdly, Paul's desires of the Spirit. Verse 8. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but done. And here's the first one, that I may win Christ. So his first desire is to win Christ. The word win means to have the favor and fellowship of Christ. He wants to have the favor. He wants to win Christ. He wants to have his favor. He wants to have his fellowship. You know, a good example of this would be Moses in Exodus 33:11. The Bible says, "And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend." And he turned again into the camp, and his, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. And again, this Deuteronomy 34:10 says, "And there rose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face." So this is the kind of relationship that grows out of an excellent knowledge of God. See, Moses learned and and understood God. You know, if you to really know God in a right understanding is to love Him. You know, many people turn away from God because they really do not know Him or they do not understand Him. They cannot in their finite minds comprehend sin, death, disease, catastrophes, etc. So they blame God. So they blame God. When sin is the cause and man is the cause of sin in the world. 
But see, Moses understood God, and he understood his own sinful nature, and his understanding was so great of God that he wanted to be with him, and he could talk to God like a man talks to his friend face to face. Hebrews 11.5 says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. And was not found because God had translated him. For for his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. See, this is what it means to win Christ. To have this kind of relationship. Paul said, I want to, I want to win him. I want his favor. Did you ever say to yourself, I wish I had a better knowledge of God? Who is keeping you from it? The second thing Paul says is, I want to be found in him. Verse 9, and be found in him. To be found here means to be seen, to be present, to be discovered, recognized. It means to be detected, to show oneself out of one's character or state as found out by others. In other words, Paul's saying here, this is how I want others to know me. That I am a friend. I am a child of God. I am a servant. I want people to know that I am a servant of Jesus Christ. That's how I want people to know me. That's how I want to be found. I want to be found found by people that they believe that I'm I'm when they they've been around me, they think they've been with Jesus. That's what they said of the apostles. Remember in Peter and John, the Pharisees, it says of the Pharisees in, in Acts chapter 4, that they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. These guys, they said, these guys have been around that Jesus. Because they talk like Him. They conduct themselves like Him. They have the same attitude of Him. They reflect Him. That's what we were supposed to do. We are supposed to reflect Him. In Acts 11, 26, the Bible says, And when he had found him, that was, this is talking here about Paul, actually Barnabas found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church, that is at Antioch, taught much people, and disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Now I can imagine the world saying, Yeah, we got all these followers of Jesus around here. You know, after all, you know, Ephesus had the the uh, those who worship Diana, the Ephesians, you know, so they have been worshippers of Diana, and you know they probably had a name for them. The Jews had a name for their followers; they called it Judaism. So we got to come up with a name for these followers of Christ. Why don't we just call them Christians? You know what it means? Christ-like or little Christ. I mean, they're preaching the same thing that he taught. They're teaching the same thing that he taught. Salvation in him. And so Paul's saying, look, I want to be found. 
I want to be known as a follower of Jesus Christ. That's how I want to be known. Psalm 119, verse 63 says, I am a companion of all them that fear thee, of them that keep thy precepts. You'll be found. Paul's desire was to be found in Christ, be known as a Christian. Thirdly, he says, to know Christ. His desire is to know Christ. Verse 10 says, that I may know Him. Know Him. The word know, Paul speaks to that knowledge of Christ which he had, be, you know, in, 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 you know, he, he, in 2 Corinthians 5, he speaks to the knowledge of Christ which he had before his conversion by which he merely knew who he was as a person, as a human being, and had not seen him yet as the Son of God. For example, in 2 Corinthians 5.16, he says, Wherefore, henceforth, know we no man hath the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ hath the flesh. That, that tells me that Paul, or Saul, before he say, he knew who Jesus was before he got saved. But he considered Jesus just to be another man. After the flesh. Notice it says, after the flesh. I knew him after the flesh. But then he says, but yet know I him no more. I don't know him like that anymore. See, now I know him as the Son of God with power. I don't want to know him just as a man. I want to know him as the Son of God with power. You know, John 6, 69 says, And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. This was the disciples' testimony of Jesus. John 17, 3, Jesus in his, in his Lord's prayer said this, And this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. See, salvation is dependent upon not just knowing Jesus as a man, we must know him as the Son of God. And Paul said, I want to know Him for who He really is. To have a right understanding of Him. I'm going to know the power of His resurrection. Verse 10, he says, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. To know and experience God's power to change, change His life. You know, Paul's life was radically transformed and changed. He was no, form, no longer a persecutor of the church. You know, he was such a bad guy that even the disciples at Jerusalem, when they already got saved, they were afraid of him. Because they weren't really sure what they were hearing was true or could it possibly even be true. But Paul would be given new life. He had a new outlook on life. He had a new purpose in life. And the one that persecuted now preached the gospel which he had persecuted. See, he said, I want to know the power of his resurrection, the power to give me new life, to give meaning and purpose in life, to give victory in trial and temptation, power to stand for the truth, to suffer the persecution. To know, he says, I want to know also the fellowship of his sufferings, to experience the dying to self from yielding to the commands and counsel of God that is against yourself, against your own desires, your own feelings, your own flesh in the world. You know, I, I, you know, 
Paul didn't want to go around being persecuted. He didn't want all that. He didn't desire that. But if that's what God allowed in his life, he was willing. If that's what it meant to really know him, he'd willingly do it. So often, we want to rationalize or justify sin due to circumstances. Some will rationalize, it's okay to cheat in your taxes because they charge too much. I can agree with part of that. They charge too much. But the cheat is stealing. We're pay what we owe. You know, sometimes it's difficult to accept the consequences of the curse of sin and not blame God. You know the bad things happen to good people over and over and over again. In John chapter 9, the Bible tells us a man that was born blind. The disciple says to Jesus, who did sin? His parents or this man? Remember what Jesus said to him? Neither. But that the works of God might be manifested. It wasn't because of some sin that the man was born blind. It was because of the curse of sin. The general curse of sin. Things like that happen. With no other explainable reason other than that we live in a sin-cursed world. And things like that happen because of the curse of sin. His parents didn't do make you know sin and cause it. Well, sometimes, sometimes things like that are caused by. Fanny Crosby had a surgery go bad when she was a little baby. It caused her blindness. But no man. But see, sometimes we don't want to accept the consequences of the curse of sin. We blame God. But Paul said, "I want to know the fellowship of His sufferings." Because I want to know the presence of God to the fullest extent possible. I have to admit that's not something I prayed for. To be made conformable, verse 10 says, to be made conformable unto His death. To be willing to lose the things of this world to be right with God. To be willing to lose, suffer the loss of friends, relationships with people who you consider who consider you a religious bigot and hate you because of your faithfulness to Christ and His Word. Or who no longer want to be your friends. Or will fellowship with you because of your stand for the Lord. You know, Jesus was probably the most hated man in the world, in the face of the earth during His time on earth. And the reality is he still is the most hated person because his children are the most hated people.
made conformable unto his death. And then he says in verse 11, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. And he's not saying so that I can earn a resurrection. He said that it means here that I may be found pleasing at the resurrection, at the judgment seat of Christ. Paul understood that one day that he was going to give an account for his life. And the only thing that was going to matter was, what do I do for Christ? What I do for Christ would be the only thing that matters. First, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8, he says, Wherefore, we are confident, I say, willing rather to be absent in the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. In other words, our, our, our conduct may be acceptable to Him. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every man may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. And Paul, of course, Paul had this testimony in Second Corinthians or Second Timothy four verses six through eight. He says, "For I am now ready to be offered. Time my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith." Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, not to me only, but to all them also that love his appearing. See, Paul said, I want to I want to be found pleasing at the resurrection. That's my desire. You can have all that stuff of the world. I'm willing to suffer if the Lord allows it. To be made conformable unto his death. Do you what kind of relationship do you have with the Lord? What kind of fellowship do you have with the Lord? Is he real in your life? Or just something you put on on certain days? You know, Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Is it for you to live? Is it Christ? Only then can be, can death be gain. Paul said, I'm going to lose my life so that I might save it. Be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but the righteousness which is the faith of God. It's through Christ, the faith of God. What's your salvation in? What are you trusting in?